Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward. Our mission is to help you, our listeners from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life even better than the first. With the relentless march of digital technology over the last few decades, we've seen our society increasingly focused on making life faster, easier, convenient, more comfortable. But there's an underside to this pervasive technology. Modernity is working against many of our physical, intellectual, and emotional needs, according to a growing body of research. It's actually making us age faster. In today's episode, Dr. Sherry Kelly, a widely recognized clinical psychologist and neuropsychologist, talks about her 30 years experience researching and exploring ways to keep our brain vibrant in a digital age. It's not an easy challenge. Even as the pandemic proceeds, there's still not enough face-to-face time or time spent outdoors. We remain entrenched in our 24-hour news cycle and enclosed world of social media and streaming and a largely sedentary lifestyle. Yet each of us has more power than we may think to control aging, says Dr. Kelly. We do have choices and options, but they often require us to be proactive, to change our lifestyle, gain emotional flexibility, and revise our personal expectations. A frequent lecturer on neuroscience, health and wellness, and positive psychology, Dr. Kelly will provide her insights on how managing digital technology can help prevent cognitive decline. She'll also describe her work with children, researching the impact of digital technology and social media on the development of social skills in youth. Along with her daughter, Caitlin Kelly, she founded Positivity's workshops, which provide coaching and webinars to educate diverse audiences about how digital technology is not only affecting their social skills in youth, but changing the developing brains. As young teen, Caitlin was personally impacted by the high school shooting up in her childhood hometown of Parkland, Florida, where she witnessed the unfolding violence upon friends and neighbors via unfiltered social media. So now let's meet our guest, Dr. Sherry Kelly, and hear how she can help us manage the impact of digital technology on our well-being as we age. So, Sherry, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ron. Hello. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. Um, I've, I've seen some of your presentations before, and our audience is, is in for a treat. Um, so before we dive into things, Sherry, just tell us a little bit about your background, about how you got involved in your particular area of expertise. I find that you know not only uh, I'm interested in the content of my expert guests, but also their lives. You know, this is that, and the 45 forward life is really an interesting transition chapter to chapter. So just give us a quick rundown on how you got to where you are today. Okay. Um, I started doing research in developmental psychology back in the seventies mm-hmm. and was really interested in how people transition um, from one stage of their life to another not only socially transitioned, but also in terms of their neurology network. Um, How does the brain change to accommodate for the changes in life? I was also really interested in how the brain learns. And of course, back then, 45 years ago, we didn't have the neuroimaging that we have now. So I was lucky enough to go through training, go through school, and then postgraduate work as 
the science of psychology really exploded with Mm -hmm. the advent of neuroimaging. So I moved from being, you know, really interested in educational psychology and developmental psychology into neuropsychology and neuropsychology through the lifespan. So I've studied and I did, I did research and work with people with debilitating chronic illnesses, as well as uh, chronic disease, cancer, brain tumors. So, you know, I've really had um, sort of a lifelong learning laboratory in this field of psychology. And of course, as I started to age, I was really curious to know, well, what You know, what does the evidence say? What does the science say about aging? And how can I explain that in simple terms to friends and colleagues? In other words, I really wanted to take the lab to the laptop Mm -hmm. about the science of aging. And that's what I do. Right. That's great. That's great. Yeah. So we'll talk about the whole gamut of your work, you know, because, you know, um, certainly there's impacts on aging, but these impacts start much earlier in life. And they mm-hmm. progress. But uh, what I found interesting about your work too is that while a lot of people have uh, kind of, you know, a general sense of, well, you know, our, our involvement and, and the impact of digital technology is significant, but, but specifically, so we have a feeling like a lot of this is not good. A lot of it is, is very helpful. Certainly, you know, when you want to find out information, you just Google it these days. You don't have to look for the Cyclopedia Britannica. Right. But um, so there are lots of, you know, benefits to technology. But what what specifically, I know you look at, you, you talk about certain specific impacts on the brain of, you know, yes. of gaming, of, you know, of, you know, you, I think you mentioned, I heard you talk about the fact which uh, well, it's intuitively, I get it, but, but when you actually say it is amazing. Like we spend you know, a whole day, 24 hours uh, uh, during the course of a week on digital media. Yes. Yeah. You're giving up a full day of your week, at least some Mm -hmm. people more, some people a little bit less, but on average, you're giving up a full day of your week to uh, social media and entertainment and gaming. Right. Right. Not not online work. Right. So, you know, that's, that is a really big impact on your life. And I think when people see that in print, or they think about it that way, they're taken aback. Right, right. And I think you talk about some interesting specific impacts. So you talk about what what is the impact of, you know, again, we're exposed to multiple sources of fast paced stimuli, and that does something to the brain. So talk about that a bit. All right. Well, this, these are all good things to start off with. Well, first of all, I want to explain that it's my opinion as a clinician for over three decades. Um, not all of this has been scientifically proven beyond a shadow of a doubt, but I'm basing this a lot on what scientific evidence there is and what I've noticed from actually doing neuropsychological evaluations for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I really believe that our brains with our modern lifestyle have become lazy. Mm-hmm. And the brain doesn't like modernity the way that it's playing out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the role of the brain, the purpose of the brain is, is to keep us alive. 
Right. right. It's about survival. That's why it's there. Okay. Um, it, it, you know, it's, it's not to go on Tinder or to get likes. Um, the purpose of the brain is to keep us alive. Okay. And for millennia, the brain has been developing to keep us alive in different situations. Most importantly of keeping us on the move. Mm-hmm. Right. We have, we had, you know, we had to stay on the move as cave people, right? right. To avoid that saber toothed tiger mm-hmm. or to go hunting or to find shelter or to go into battle, right? We were very proactive human beings to stay alive. Right. Well, now so many of us spend much of our day being reactive people instead of proactive people. Mm -hmm. We react, we respond, but we're not really thinking, planning, and doing. We sit there in our chair attached to our laptops or our phones and we're clicking or swiping. Okay. And that's some kind of activity that is novel for the brain and, and one that's not really aligned with the evolution of the brain. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, you know, and, and there's sort of an addictive quality to this reactivity, you know, it's there yes. for you. Um, you know, I do find myself, you know, often right with your, your cell phone and you're getting emails or getting tweets or whatever, right. or, or texts and, you know, the phone pings and you're like, Oh, I got to answer that, you know? And so you don't have to answer that really. Uh, but it, it, it basically, it, it, it basically is a, you know, I don't want to make too close an analogy, but right when you go into a casino and you hear, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a good analogy, actually, you know, the- yes. I mean, it's we now have, you know, we have a condition response to that ping. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and what happens is, is just even hearing the, the ping that you have email sets off this chain reaction in your brain and you start getting a shot of dopamine. So. Yes, there's a neurochemical reaction to getting email and opening email. Same thing with likes on Instagram or getting responses. Yeah. And then certainly if your online behavior is gaming, it's very much like gambling. It might even be gambling, right? And they're very, very smart in what they do in setting up the games and also the algorithms um, of different sites. So, you know, so uh, the good news is, is that if you know this, and if you're an informed consumer, you will be able to tap into the power that you really have to not get sucked into this all day. Right. Because being in that state of online presence and being in a state of reactivity or being, um, I guess, enmeshed with the computer program um, is something that can accelerate aging. Right, right. Yeah, so I'll, we'll move on to that. But but before that, I just wanted to expand a little bit on your notion of, you know, you know, the making the brain lazy. Cause I think I found, I found this interesting in terms of how you've described it, which is, you know, actually that, that, um, you know, by being exposed to, you know, multiple fast stimuli, whether it's in the internet or wherever you're looking at, that it actually, your brain kind of downshifts. Yeah. Your, your brain is downshifting and I'm, I'm explaining this 
in very simple terms. So mm-hmm. if there's, you know, a colleague that's listening to this, they're going to say I'm oversimplifying it, but yes, I am oversimplifying it. So we understand. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So you just imagine if your brain is being confronted with all these pixels and all these sounds and all this information and visual stimuli coming at you, your brain's going to react in a way to accommodate for all that stimuli. And one way that it can accommodate depending on the stimuli is that it's going to downshift like a car and it's going to think to itself and you know what i don't need to react i don't need to act so quickly i can just sit back and be entertained i can just sort of like coast because i don't need to act i'm just going to respond and watch so you know the brain is in this um activity of really being reactive and responsive and taking in a lot of information. The brain doesn't have to work so hard to organize things or process things because it's coming at you. Right, right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Another thing that I, I like one of your analogies is that the, I don't know if you coined it, but I, you know, the sort of what you call cognitive tinderizing. Yeah, cognitive is, tinderizing. Yeah. Um, and I did not coin it. I wish I did. Uh-huh. Um, or, uh, yes. So, you know, the, the dating app Tinder, mm-hmm. you know, where you swipe left or right, um, your brain kind of goes into that mode with some of these platforms. And I'm going to explain why. Mm-hmm. So back in the 60s, when computer programs were literally very basic, <laughs> That's Mm -hmm. what most of us grew up learning was basic, right? Um, These applications were first developed for consumerism. You know, let's buy something. Mm -hmm. Let's use this to sell stuff. Okay. And it was very easy and it was very primitive. It was based on basically a binary system, one, zero, on, off, yes, no, So many of the consumer applications and even educational apps we have today for kids are based on this same very simple technology Mm -hmm. on off. Yes. No. Right. Wrong. One zero. Like not like. Cute, not cute. Date, (sighs) not date. Right. Right. And what. I see happening with especially younger people um, is this reliance on yes, no thinking, all or nothing thinking, left, right thinking, swipe, right, swipe, left thinking, having two choices only, Mm -hmm. wanting only two choices. Right. So what happens is, is that we become very uncomfortable with ambiguity. Mm-hmm. Right. And very few choices we have in life are binary. Right. Um, and very few choices are clear cut choices. Right. There's a lot of ambiguity in life. Now, we know that because we grew up before the digital age. We are um, not digital natives like our kids are. We're digital immigrants. That's what they call us. Uh, so, you know, we understand that there's a lot of ambiguity in gray area and you can't just make a quick response choice. 
to life's biggest questions. But young people are really trained in the swiping. And that's what I refer to from something that was coined as cognitive tindering or cognitive tinderization. Right, right. I'm going to take a break soon, but I just want to, you know, talk about that a bit because I think that certainly you can see the impact on, you know, my my son's generation, but I think I'm not sure with how to characterize it, but it seems like we're kind of uh, a <laughs> regressive analysis where basically my generation is trending that way, even though it, it may have greater impact, you know, on our generation behind us. Yeah. Um, people, you know, are, are seem to be reprogramming their behavior, you know, in, in that direction to, to, and, and there, there does seem to be, I know, I guess partly, you know, when you're, um, when we're struggling with so much ambiguity in life and so much uncertainty coming out of, you know, the pandemic and so forth, um, that there is this, uh, you know, tendency to, to, to gravitate towards some certainty and, and ratchet down this ambiguity, but it's there. So um, it's there. And what you said about, you know, being almost addictive is true. And one of the reasons why it's not healthy is because that kind of activity and that kind of thinking is keeping us from doing the things that are healthy mm-hmm. and will help us attain greater longevity. Right. And that's what I want to talk with you about after the break. Right. Okay. So that's perfect timing. So folks, we are going to take a short break. Uh, when we come back, we'll be talking much more with Dr. Sherry Kelly, clinical psychologist and neuropsychologist. So don't go anywhere. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. We live in a fully connected world and share digital information every day in our businesses, with our money, and even our health. I should know. My name is Tyler Cohen Wood, and I'm a top cybersecurity expert and former U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency senior intelligence officer. I know many technology secrets that keep our world safe, but I have a secret few people know. I suffer from a rare autoimmune disease that has no conventional cure. According to the National Institutes of Health, as many as 25 million Americans suffer from a rare undiagnosed condition. People with rare or hard to diagnose diseases often spend years being shuffled from doctor to doctor and specialist to specialist, feeling as if they're in an endless loop of siloed care that rarely gives answers to unexplained conditions. In 2018, I became one of these people. At the time, I had no idea that I would use my cybersecurity background to save my own life or that I was about to go through a tumultuous medical journey that would change the course of my life and in turn, give me the opportunity to bring together my cybersecurity knowledge and my patient experience to change the business of digital health. On My Connected Life, Digital Health Disrupted, you'll hear how to better understand and improve your patient experience and keep your connected life safe. We'll talk about the latest digital trends that can keep the security of the entire healthcare ecosystem and our data secure and within our control. The business of digital health is our business and it's time we learn to own it. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. Uh, we're talking with neuropsychologist Dr. Sherry Kelly about the impact of digital technology on us as we age, actually at any age. Uh, but before we continue, I just wanted to let you know you can find out much more about Sherry's workshops, seminars, lectures, and programs for people, families, parents at her website. It's mindandheartcoaching.com. Is that right, Sherry? That's right, mindandheartcoaching.com. Great. All right. Okay. So before the break, we were talking about a lot about the impact of digital technology uh, on us as we age, um, and a lot of the uh, perhaps uh, uh, you know unfortunate impact. A lot of there, there, it's lots of positive stuff. But um, you know, as Sherry has pointed out to me before, that you know technology may neither be positive nor negative, but it's not neutral. And it does sort of, you know, steer us by its architecture into certain behaviors. Right. Um, so, um, so, but we we want to talk about, you know, what we can do about it. You know, um, you know, I, I, um, you know, as a journalist, I, when I would have, we would tackle large subjects, and we'd do a series of, uh, you know, articles, you know, seven part series. What I found always a little bit um, troubling was we would do six parts on you know, diagnosing the problem and one part of the solutions. And I would say to people, I really need to flip that. People really want to know what to do about these problems. So right. let's talk, Sherry, about what, what people can do. And I think a lot of it really is about managing digital technology in our lives. Is that right? Yes. So the first thing that you can do about it is what you're doing right now is learn about it, be curious, be mm-hmm. skeptical. Um, there's a writer, Mark Norman, who gave this great synopsis of what social media is. Mm-hmm. He says, social media is like looking in the fridge over and over. You know, there's nothing good, but you check it so many times that eventually you start consuming things you don't even like. <laughs> That's a great, <laughs> great yeah. way to look at it. Yeah. So, you know, remember that real, or I should say realize that um, a lot of the stuff you're looking at on social media and entertainment media is there to have you buy stuff. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, consumer in its goal, mm-hmm. consumer, you know, targeted and it's attached to marketing platforms. The second thing to remember is that oftentimes you are the product, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> not what you're looking at. Okay. You're the product you're being sold. Your information's being sold or you're being monitored, Um, even, you know, artificial intelligence is gathering all that information from you, from your behavior online, 
even, you know, on certain platforms where they can see the camera, what your expressions are or -hmm. what your responses are. So you've become now the product and you're being sold and it's being used to develop some types of artificial artificial intelligence as well as being used for consumer data right um, about purchasing okay um you know the other thing that you can realize or do actually is to track your usage mm-hmm. we all have that capability on our smartphones to see how much time we're spending on social media and you should actually do that. It will be illuminating and do it with your kids and grandkids mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to see, you know, how much time they're really using. The other thing is, is that it's really important that you cut out time and schedule time each day to get off social media, to get off your smartphone or away from the computer and spend time outside. There's more and more evidence from the field of eco-psychology mm-hmm. on the health benefits of being outside. And that's going to really help you. The other, the next thing to do is to carve out time each week to be with friends or family. To, and mm-hmm. you actually have to schedule it to mm-hmm. not be on your device um, but to actually be in face-to-face conversation right? Um, so that you have that connection to someone in person, not yeah. just over Zoom. Right, right. Yeah, I, I love this concept of eco-psychology. You know, I, you know, again, it's sort of intuitive. People do talk about, you know, uh, especially as we age, getting outside and nature has a sort of a common effect. You know, it's people talk about, you know, the sort of as being in nature is meditation. Yes. You know, t- tree hugging is literally, you know, helping you um, sort of center yourself and sort of see yourself as part of something greater. So, yeah. you know, I think that is important. And, um, you know, I, I, you know, experience this, you know, un- unwittingly as a, as a child, we, we, uh, my family grew up in uh, Long Island, um, when Long Island was much more rural and we grew up in, uh, you know, luckily, you know, next to a farm and 360 oh. acres of woodland and, and uh, you know, going out in, in nature was just what we did or what I did because it was there. But, you know, I can recall just the real meditative effects of, you know, of not, you know, not, you know, not being in um, the world of, you know, our daily lives, you know, so. Yeah. And we have really such limited time for that now in our daily lives. You know, we are either commuting in the car or on the train, or we are not commuting at all and doing work from home and sitting behind screens. Um, So really, the more that you can carve out just even if it's a half hour a day Mm -hmm. to take a walk outside um, to meditate outside, to be somehow, you know, in the environment, not just inside. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the other things you talk about, which I found fascinating was, um, just, uh, again, a little counterintuitive, but I wouldn't think about it true, which is, you know, dealing with our avoidance in society of painful emotions and trying right. using social media to escape that and, and how right. sort of acceptance of these things is, is important. 
Yeah, and we do. I mean, it um, scrolling, swiping, um, channel surfing um, on YouTube, they're all um, ways that, you know, some people use to try to deal with anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, gets your mind off of your problems. It sort of gives a, a big distraction. So I just, you know, I ask people to think about these, you know, four questions when they're mm-hmm. on social media, okay. which, you know, starts with, am I seeing posts or am I seeing things on social media that are actually making me unhappy or happy? Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, so, you know, how are you looking at the negative things online or the positive? And of course, you know, the psychologist Rick Hansen says, you know, our brains are like, you know, Teflon for positive things and like, um, you know, Velcro for negativity. Mm. And that's, you know, part of our survival mechanism. We tend to dwell and think on the negative, but the positive we just let slip through. Right. And so where, what are we focusing most on? The other question is, do I follow accounts on social media that make me feel like I need to be someone I'm just not, Mm -hmm. you know, do I have, um, you know, a sense that I'm missing out on something Mm -hmm. kids call it FOMO and that, you know, flows into the third question I have. Um, are you comparing your life or your body or your success, um, or your stuff? with what other people have online or in social media or on face, you know, Facebook. Um, Cause a lot of what people post isn't true. Right. You know, there's whole industries to make you appear to look more affluent than you are, or more successful than you are or filters to make you look thinner, taller, mm-hmm. better looking. And then the last question is the big question is the way you're using social media affecting your mental health Mm. is it affecting it negatively Mm -hmm. are you feeling worse are you feeling worse about yourself are you finding that you're not spending as much time with others that might really need you because you're spending too much time on social media Mm -hmm. yeah yeah for good good questions yeah i mean the negativity uh hits home with me a lot because you know that's you know i i experienced uh People talk about that when I, you know, when I was a reporter and editor for many years. Uh, people complaining about the media being negative, you know, always so negative, always so negative. And I, but I think what you point out within, if you understand it, is is important. That that's part of the, you know, the, the this it's it's their scene function to alert you to things that might be a problem for you, might be dangerous, might be things to watch out for. So once you understand the role of it, then you can um, essentially uh, basically accommodate it. And I think one of the problems is that there's so much media focusing on so many negative things that it's, it's once again, the amount that's really detrimental. And, and Right. And, and, you know, that, that's what sells, you know, right. that better than I do. Right. Um, and so there are numerous studies that have been done really over the course of the past 10 years and some that have done been done recently from 2019 to currently published in 2022 mm-hmm. from the CDC and the NIH that show an association between the amount of time you spend online and 
reported symptoms of anxiety and depression. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So while you're seeking this distraction because you feel anxious or depressed, it's actually contributing to making you feel depressed and anxious. Right. Right. Now, one of the things that you've talked about, and I've heard other people talk about it too, in terms of, you know, monitoring um, expectations of yourself is a notion that, you know, known as, you know, backward design, right? Talk about that a bit. What, what does that mean? So, you know, as we age, um, I think it's important to build happiness based on what your goals are, mm-hmm. um, what you really want out of this life going from 45 forward. Right. And where do you see yourself in 30 years? Where do you see yourself in 20 years, 10 years, five years? And taking stock of those expectations. And this is a great exercise that I love doing with couples and also with um, intergenerational families mm-hmm. where we talk about, okay, well, you know, where do you see mom and I in 20 years? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and your adult child might see, oh, it's easy. I see you having a great um, house in Florida and spending a lot of time there and you're paying for the grandkids college. <laughs> <laughs> I see. <laughs> um, or, you know, with your spouse, where do you see yourself in 20 years? Oh, I think we're going to be, you know, climbing in Peru or I see us sailing um, on a nice cruise in the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, let's look at that, you know, or is it, oh, I see myself going back to school and taking courses and teaching or giving mm-hmm. back um, now that I'm going to be retired. So it's important to just examine what differences there might be, but also examine the reality of your expectations mm-hmm. um, as you age. Is it realistic to think that you're going to be well enough in 20 years to go hiking in Peru? Right. Um, or are you going to be uh, healthy enough to teach in 20 years like you might want or to have that you know, financial security to have a house in the South. Yeah. Um, so it's understanding also what your partner's expectations are and looking at those differences. Right. And then, you know, this is where we get into happiness as we age, because a lot of unhappiness as we age, I believe, evolves from differences we have in the expectations of ourselves versus reality. Right. Right. I was expecting to be well enough to go climb Machu Picchu. I was expecting to be well enough to take that trip through Europe or expectations of the spouse. Mm -hmm. Now, I was expecting you to share this with me and now you might not want to. You're not interested in that. So looking at expectations is is an objective exercise. You don't have to mm-hmm. take it personally. It's a way of not looking at yourself, Ron, but my expectations. Right, right. And I think in, in some ways too, and we talked earlier about sort of ambiguity in life, you know, and I think that this is one of the things where, you know, it can in some ways uh, help these stress situations by just helping you focus. So if this is where you think you're gonna be, expect to be in 20 years, what do you need to be doing now? To, exactly. To get there. Exactly. So you look at 
you know, what you need to be doing now, what steps you should be taking, how to prepare for it. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, what you might want to do together with your loved ones or your partner. Um, Because it's that difference in expectations where the sadness or the unhappiness also arises, not just within yourself, but expectations between you and your loved one. Right, right. And one of the things that you and I have talked about before is just this unusual difference too in the way men and women look at themselves in terms of how they age. Yes. That, that, we laugh about this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, so oftentimes when I work with couples, they'll, you know, the man will say, I'm frustrated in some ways because I don't feel like I'm 65. I feel like I'm a 37 year old trapped in a 65 year old body. Mm. And the woman typically will not feel like she's 35. She'll feel maybe even older than her stated age. I'm tired. I've given up everything. I'm exhausted. I I feel like I'm 80 and I'm only 60. Uh. Uh, So, you know, it's, it's, again, it's looking objectively. Okay. Well, you know, what's your life right now? What are you gaining pleasure from? What are your goals? And it's that backward design looking at where do you want to be 10 years from now? And how do I get there with this next phase of my life? Right, right. Yeah, a lot of questions here. That's, uh, but, but great, great uh, things. They're all really about. good. They're all really good questions to yeah. ask yourself. And yeah. you have to have, you know, three things um, for your flourishing as you age, according to Dr. Martin Seligman, the three okay. things are agency, which you talked about, having some self-efficacy, mm-hmm. having a game plan making the future work, not just not being lazy or reactive, but being proactive. Optimism, an optimistic attitude. Focus on the positive, not the negative. Focus on gratitude, not on what you're missing out on. And then imagination and creativity. Be creative about your future. Have some options open to you and be creative with what you might want to do in your life. Be flexible. Right. And getting what you want. Yeah. Yeah. A, a lot of things that, as you, we said, starting out, you know, a lot of things are within your control. There are options that you have yes. that you don't realize you have. And I think that, you know, a lot of the stress and, and the feelings of depression as you get older is this feeling that you don't have options, sort of this, you're stuck in this you're tunnel stuck. vision. And, yeah. and when you don't have a choice, that's when you become a victim. Right. Right. And you don't want that. That's right. That's right. We don't want that. So uh, we're on that note. We're going, you know, de-victimizing ourselves. Uh, <laughs> we're going to we're going to take another short break, Sherry. So, folks, uh, we have one more terrific segment coming up. So don't go away. Much more in our last segment with Dr. Sherry Kelly. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in to Melody Edmondson's The Space of the Waste radio program. This companion piece to her successful guidebook series, The Space of the Waste, focuses on body types and how to make your waist length flattering, no matter what your body type is. Guests include designers, merchandise managers, factory owners, and more. 
You'll also find out what accessories will complement your body shape and waist length. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Rowell or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.rowell at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Dr. Sherry Kelly about finding ways to manage the impact of digital technology on our mental, emotional, and physical health. Before the break, we were talking about lots of things we could, about uh, aging and, and managing digital technology. So we're going to take a shift in this last segment to talk about aging at a younger age, dealing with uh, she, um, Sherry's dealt with a lot of uh, things with children. She has uh, her workshops with her daughter. And a lot of this focuses on the notion of what we can do about it, you know, again, in terms of positive psychology. So, but first, Sherry, tell us about, you know, your work with children and specifically your workshops. Thanks. We've been working um, since 2018. My daughter and I have been working together since 2018, which is interesting and fun. Um, We started Positivity's workshops. And this really um, came out of her experience with the Parkland mass shooting in our old hometown of Parkland, Florida. Mm -hmm. And she saw everything unfold in the palm of her hand through her iPhone. She was at, luckily she was at a uh, private uh, faith-based school um, in the town next door when this happened. But my Mm -hmm. husband was working literally down the street. Wow. Parkland when this happened. Um, He is a doctor and he was working at a medical clinic that day. Um, so, you know, one of the things that, um, my daughter who was 14 at the time asked me when I went to pick her up from school that day, um, she said, why is it easier for a troubled teen to get a gun than to get mental health care? Mm -hmm which was a really profound question from a 14 year old. Mm -hmm. And it got me thinking, 
And then in our community, we realized that there were a lot of kids that needed access to care and it was really hard for them to get free mental health care or to get resources. So we worked together to establish positivity teams to provide resources and free workshops and webinars for kids, families, teachers, and um, educational staff um, who might want some support, might want to get connected with um, somebody to help them with therapy or just grief support in the aftermath of Parkland. And we went on to develop a webinar series and workshops on how social media is affecting teens Mm -hmm. and what it's doing to them and Mm -hmm. why are they depressed and what you can do about it. Right. So not just the problems, but the solutions on, can you code your brain for greater happiness? Yes, you can. So that's what we do. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's expand on that. How, how do you, so we've talked a little bit about this, but I think this, this is an important concept of, of yeah, coding your brain. Yeah. And it works for all age groups, not only teens, but it works really for all age groups. And even Steve Wozniak, who is the Apple co-founder, right. he has this great quote that says happiness equals smiles minus frowns. Hmm. Okay. Right. Right. So, you know, first step is to realize that a lot of what you see on the media, social media, internet is negative and it's there for a reason. And Ron, you know, very well, because you're in that business. Right. Right. Um, And realizing that you have more power than you think to attract happiness, to become more positive in your life. You have more power over your brain than you even think by how you make decisions to think about things. And I'm being very simplistic, but happiness, positivity is a conscious decision that requires practice. You don't just think, oh, I'm waiting for happiness to come find me. You're going to go find it. And that's a decision you have to make. It's changing how you think about things. Right. right? And it's clarifying goals for your thoughts for your processes of behavior, and you use your internal resources that you have, your strengths, what you're strong in, what your belief system is in finding happiness and seeking it out. So you actually work on this daily. So one first exercise I have for you, it's not easy, but try it. Try not saying something negative for 24 hours. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And that's a good way to start. Just try it out and see how you're going to change. Mm-hmm. Just in 24 hours, you're going to feel better. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Here's another one. Understanding that a lot of your anger and a lot of things that drive you into feeling down is because you're putting the brakes on. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you have to think about, you know, oftentimes it's fear of losing something, fear of failure, fear of making a mistake that's making you put the brakes on. Right. Um, When you want to try something that's going to be life changing or you want to get happier, um, you may want to make a change in behavior, but you're afraid to you're putting you're putting the brakes on. Right. Right. And, And understand that's often a fear. Okay. So no matter how hard you press on the gas, it's hard to move forward. If you've got your foot on the brake, right? Right. 
Right. Okay. Yeah, I, I think certainly fear is is one of the central elements, right? You're you're afraid of, of failing, even though yeah. what the consequence is really not failing. It's just not succeeding the way you thought it would. <laughs> you know. Right. Exactly. Okay. And you you know you have to change the way you think because mm-hmm. you're not going to get different results if you're still in those same negative you know thought patterns. Right. The other thing is to prepare in advance mm-hmm. for negative encounters, stressors, um, disappointments. And I call this shooting par, P-A-R. Mm-hmm. Okay. Prepare, accommodate, and refrain. Mm-hmm. That's what that stands for. Prepare, okay? accommodate, and refrain. Good. Right. Okay. Now, if you're a golfer, you're going to remember that really easily. Right. Okay. So this is what we're going to do. And this is a good thing to practice. Also, another strategy. I want you to prepare in advance for a conflict or a negative encounter or an argument or something that might be stressful. And what you're preparing for is not that event as much as your response to that event. Right, right. Okay. Because we can't always control what happens to us, right? Right. We'd be spending our lives in a closet right? Or under the bed. Um, But we can prepare for our response set. Okay. And a big chunk of our happiness or unhappiness will rest on the fact that you have to make a choice of how you want to respond to a situation. Right, right. So prepare in advance for how you want to respond. What's that person you want to be look like? Are you going to be calm? Mm -hmm. What if somebody insults you? What's the response you should do? Prepare for, you know, the, the, what you can do about it rather than why do I feel this way? Right. Right. Yeah. I think, and this lasts all the way through life. I mean, it does. It lasts all the way through life. Yeah. One of my previous guests, you might be interested to, to, look back at, I had a guest on a few weeks ago named John Leland, uh, who was a New York, is a New York times reporter, but he wrote a book called happiness is a choice. Yes. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and, and the book was based on spending a year with people who were 85 and older. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, he was expecting that these people, he, it, it was, it was basically a uh, premise was that, you know, okay, the, the fastest growing segment of our population is 85 plus. So what's life like for this demographic? And he was surprised. He found in fact that, that, you know, you know, it was, you know, so happiness may be a little bit of a, uh, a misnomer, but it was a sense of fulfillment and that these people right. were, were full, you know, felt that their life had purpose. They, and, and they said exactly what you said now, which is, well, you know, I, I make a choice to be happy. And, and I guess the, the phrase was in spite of, as opposed to if only, you know, right. so they were accepting of life. They're accepting of what life dealt with it. And a lot of it was not great, but they, you know, but that was part of their of expectation. Not, yeah. You know? And that's so true. And it's, it, it, it relates to what your concept of happiness is and what the science of happiness is. And that's a whole other show, but you know, happiness, and we have the great Harvard study that was done started in 1937 Mm -hmm. with some, you know, people call it the George Valiant study, 
But you look at this study and it's tracked Harvard graduates from 37 all the way through the 80s, I believe, and Mm. what makes a fulfilling and happy life. And it's not the, you know, jump out of the cake, confetti, trip to Disney, big bang. It's being able to be satisfied with your life, finding meaning and purpose in your life. Right, right. That's exactly what you said. Yeah. And getting back to, you know, par, we did the P, the A is accommodating for the stress Mm -hmm. when you're in the middle of that storm. How do you accommodate? And you have to think about, okay, I can accommodate by finding choices. I have two choices in how I want to react now that I'm in the middle of it. And what what will happen if I react in a certain way? So I visualize and I teach people to visualize two doors, a green door and a red door. If you go through the green door, some you're going to have more options. If you go right. through a red door, you'll have less options. Right. But you have a choice and how you want to react. And you can calm yourself, whether it's by breathing or by using techniques like stopping, taking a breath, thinking about what your options are before you proceed. That's the A. And then the R is for reframing, cognitive reframing. Right. I'm going to think back, this wasn't a loss. I handled it well, or I may be disappointed, but I learned something from this experience. I'm seeing the positive in this. The positive is, all right, I didn't get what I want, but it's a good thing. It would have been a disaster. Or, right. you know, this person's not in my life anymore, but that's a good thing. I grew from better without having that person in my life. So it's, you know, reframing what happened to you in a positive, something that makes you stronger, not weaker. Right. Wow. Well, there's much more to talk about, but unfortunately we're coming to the end of this program. Um, I'm sure I'll have you back, Sherry, for another show. And I just wanted to mention to people that uh, one of the shows we're looking, you and I talked about is that, and we can't get into it today, but that you're in fact working with your colleagues in Ukraine to deal with a lot of the, you know, the disruption there uh, with both refugees and people leaving the the country and coming back. So that's going to be a fascinating show. well, I don't haven't scheduled yet, but we will definitely have you back. We will that. have it, and we will have a colleague on with me from Ukraine on Terrific. the ground, so you Terrific. can hear somebody on the ground in Ukraine with who I'm working with. Right, great. Okay, so folks, um, if you missed my conversation today with Sherry, you can still listen to it on VoiceAmerica.com. Just search for my show. Um, uh, 45 forward, and you can hear it on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or go to my website, roboresources.com, click on the 45 forward tab. Um, so, um, uh, if you uh, have comments or questions, uh, email me at ron.roel.com at, g- at gmail.com. Uh, and uh, so be sure to join me next Monday, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, when I'll be talking um, with. Uh, John Farrell, the author of an interesting book about how uh, what we think about today in terms of modern technology actually uh, came about in a time we never think about, the Middle Ages. So until then, folks, keep going forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week. <laughs>